Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. got a very special musical treat in store for you today on Song of the Soul. My guest is Mark Holdaway, and his musical passion is the kalimba, also known as the African thumb piano. But as always, Song of the Soul is not simply about music. It's about the journey of the soul, and Mark has a rich and compelling story to share alongside of and through his music. Mark Holdaway has so much to share that we'll take two hours to share his song of the soul. Let's go to the phone now to join the person behind kalimbamagic.com, Mark Holdaway. Mark, I'm so pleased you could join me this morning for Song of the Soul. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I feel honored to be part of this program. I became aware of you from Peter and Annie Patterson Blood's website. They mentioned a number of different Quaker musicians around the place. Uh, you know Peter and Annie directly? Have they visited down by you guys? Yeah, I, I've known them indirectly through their book ever since I first attended the uh, Intermountain Yearly Meeting in 1995, and I had to go out and get their book right away because I, I realized what a tool it was in bringing people together, the Rise Up Singing book. And I had the pleasure of meeting them because their son Nate lived here in Tucson for a few years and they came out and we did a, a Rise Up singing sing-along together. You've been a musician for some time I'm imagining. How far back and what instruments have called to you? I remember I was about 
six years old, and my mom asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I said I wanted to be a musician. And she didn't, for some reason, she didn't think I was going to be a musician, and my brother got the guitar, and not me. But um, the guitar ended up being my first instrument, because it was out of tune under my brother's bed, and I started just messing around with it, not really knowing what I was doing, but I added the recorder and mandolin. Basically anything that I pick up, I find a way to connect with it musically. But the instrument that I, I play most nowadays is the kalimba. I've been playing that for uh, 22 years. I'm imagining most people don't even know what a kalimba is. Why don't you spell it out for them? Kalimba, K-A-L-I-M-B-A. Well, it's the African thumb piano. It's uh, a little box or maybe a flat piece of wood with uh, long, skinny metal tines, just like the tines of a rake. And when you pluck it with your thumb, it just makes incredibly beautiful noise. You feel the vibrations in your hands, and it, it's almost like it. when I play, I feel like it just kind of comes through my whole being. I'm going to ask you a lot more about kalimba and your connection with it as we go on. But I also wanted to start out right away by checking your background. Now, you're in Tucson, Arizona. Is this where you originate from, or where did you originate from physically on the planet? Well, I grew up in Dallas. I went off to school on the East Coast, and I'm here in Tucson because of astronomy. I was hired in 1989 by the National Radio Astronomy Observatory to help them design their next-generation radio telescope, which is being built now. It's called ALMA the Atacama Large Millimeter Array down in Chile. In some way, I, we were too successful because when they funded the project, they closed our office here in Tucson, and I feel quite connected with our Quaker community here. Uh, I serve on committees and do other things and personal connections, and I didn't want to leave Tucson. So when our office closed, I knew I would find something else to do here. And the kalimba job is what happened. When you say kalimba job, it's you do mail order, you sell, import and sell kalimbas. Is that what you're referring to? I was teaching kalimba lessons to a few people, and I got an idea for a kalimba book because there's really no instructional materials on the kalimba, believe it or not. It's, it's a very popular instrument in Africa, but it's mainly transmitted through one-on-one -on -one personal interaction. The people who make the kalimbas in South Africa sent me an email almost exactly three years ago, right after I'd gotten back from yearly meeting, uh, asked me to help them sell their kalimbas. In that brief instant, my entire job that I'm doing now kind of unfolded before my eyes, that I would import kalimbas from them and distribute them to people. I would write instructional materials. I would record music. It's hard making a living in music. And I, I saw that almost like the kalimbas were a vehicle for me to get my music out into the world, that people who bought kalimbas would learn about my music, and vice versa. People who heard my music would say, oh, wow, I could do that. I, I need to get a kalimba. And the kalimba has just been such a source of joy and peace in my life that I, I really saw this as a way of 
spreading the joy of God out into the world. We'll mention it again later, but your website, kalimbamagic.com, is where people can find out about that, and you have to just remember how to spell kalimba. You can also check it out via my website. I'll have a link to kalimbamagic.com on my site, northernspiritradio.org. You talked about your connection with the Quaker meeting there, your desire through the music to reach out and express and connect with God. What's your religious spiritual background? Well, I was kind of um, a generic, non-practicing Protestant. As a child, we went to Presbyterian Church, a Methodist church. We, we were always looking. And when I was going to college, I had a, a religious conversion experience, I guess a classic born-again experience. And I just assumed I was a fundamentalist Christian, but I found I was going you know, going to churches that asked you to believe things that, as a scientist, I couldn't believe. Uh, I have a very strong technical, scientific, analytical bent to my mind. And uh, I ended up getting a degree in religion from MIT as one of only two people to do so. They don't have religion courses, so you have to go elsewhere to take your religion. And I went to Wellesley and studied biblical theology and other things. So I just never found a religious community that fit with where I was at spiritually. And I, that part of my life kind of fell away and died for five or ten years. And then uh, finally I found Quakers. Kind of by accident, we moved to Socorro, my wife and I, and we just had a newborn son. And we decided we needed to find a, a spiritual community that we could grow up in with our son Tim. Socorro, New Mexico is a small enough town that you can you can go to every single church, and we did. It took us about two or three months, and we thought we had exhausted everybody. And then after a few months more, someone said, well, you, you know, you haven't been to the Quakers yet. They have a small worship group there, been going for, for decades. And we went, and we found our spiritual home. Is your wife of similar background? I'm curious how it clearly resonated for you. It, it was a immediate home fit for her, too? Well, I should say that was my first wife. She grew up as a Catholic, and we divorced about eight years ago. She feels, my, my first wife feels like she's a Quaker, but she's not attending Quaker meeting, and I, I feel kind of bad about that. I think I'm part of the reason why she doesn't attend Quakers. I remarried just last year on Thanksgiving Day, and Deb and I got married under the care of the meeting. It was quite quite a joyous experience being there in Quaker meeting with both our, our spiritual community and people from other parts of our lives all coming together. I, I guess words don't really say what I'm feeling but it was wonderful. It is quite so often that words can't say what we're feeling, but fortunately you have another tool in your repertoire for expressing what you're feeling, and that's the music that you are clearly so passionately connected with. And I want to dive right into the music that you've chosen for your song with the soul, Mark. 
So, the first one that you've chosen, you told me, is called Shalom. And would you tell me about the background of this song and how you chose to include it in your Song of the Soul? I chose it to open because it's solo kalimba. So you can really hear exactly what one kalimba can do. It was sort of commissioned by uh, the receptionist at NRAO, where I worked. She's a Mennonite, and I would get off the bus and start walking, and I'd play kalimba. And I'd play all the way up the stairwell, up until I hit the reception area. And there Joan Martin would be. Uh, she's a Mennonite. She said, I just love hearing your music. It starts my day out right. I'm just happy all the day after listening to the sounds wafting up through the stairwell. And she asked me if I would write something for her and for her community, the Shalom Mennonite Fellowship. And so I put together a song, and I've played it there three times, I think, twice during their services. It's kind of a serious song. It goes to a serious place, but it, it has kind of an excited joy to it, too. Actually, my impression of it is, at one point in it, I almost have the sense of galloping. I had the feeling of just kind of riding on an exciting horse and bouncing joyfully along, I guess you'd say. This is from your album, Two Thumbs Up, and I assume that's the two thumbs that you typically play with. How do you play a kalimba while you're walking along, I've always pictured before that you were sitting down and had it on a flat surface and were playing. Well, I hold it in my hand. There's a, a sound, it's, it's a little box, about the size of a paperback book, but a little thicker. And it's got a sound hole on the front. If the tines are all on the front, it's got two little sound holes on the back. And when I hold it, my fingers cover and uncover the sound holes on the back or my thumb will cover or uncover the sound hole on the front and that makes the wah-wah sound that you get so there are no electronic effects on the kalimba it's just that's the natural sound it makes and when i walk the walking and the playing of the music become one so they're part of the same action and so the way i walk influences the music or the way I'm playing the music influences the walk, both in the speed and the rhythm and, and the feeling of the walking. Let's start off with Mark Holdway's first song. It's played on the kalimba, and it's called Shalom.
That was Shalom, that joyful piece. It's played on the kalimba, and my guest today is Mark Holdaway, amongst other things. He maintains a website called kalimbamagic.com, which Mark has told me is kind of the virtual center of the kalimba universe here, at least in the United States and beyond, I imagine. Is this an international site? I mean, you're providing the kalimba needs of uh, people in many countries? Well, I've shipped kalimbas to 36 different countries so far. The kalimbas I sell, I import them from South Africa, I import some from Germany, and some are made in the Appalachians in the United States. But yes, it's uh, people from all around the world tune into this website. It's mainly an informational website, and I have a newsletter, and I have a tip of the day series. The kalimba is kind of amazing because it, it's not like violin, where you have to play it for 10 years or 20 years before you get to the frontiers of what people can do. I've seen children pick up the kalimba who had been playing it for a day or a week and do something on that instrument that I had never even thought of. And so I'm getting new ideas from people all the time, and I share those ideas with the kalimba community. You've got a long history of music on a number of different instruments. I don't know. Do you consider yourself proficient on mandolin and guitar and all those things? You're proficient on all of those. Were you also a singer? I'm working on my singing. I feel that Spirit gives me words, and there's something I need to do with the songs that I write with words, but I'm not sure what it is, because I sing it and I'm just not happy with what comes out of my mouth. I play about 10 different instruments at the performance level, but I find I can't keep them all up at the performance level at the same time. So at any time, I'm comfortable performing on about five instruments. Well, this next song that you chose is a chorale, which is kind of interesting since there is no vocal part of it. What's the definition of a chorale that you've created here without singing? In band, uh, when I played trombone, we used to play Bach chorales. And so you'd have like a trombone and a trumpet and a French horn. So you've got this very melodious, smooth harmonies. And these were things that were transcribed from Bach chorales, which he originally had human voices singing all these parts. And that's the feeling I had. And I, I don't have a whole ensemble. I've just got the kalimba which plays multiple notes, and the piano, which plays multiple notes. So I do have several notes worth of harmonies going on in those two parts, but no voices. It's something I wrote for my wife, Deb. It's a piece of peaceful beauty, I, I think. But there's some longing there for, uh, for voices. This was included on your Christmas Kalimba collection. Did you write it with a special attention to the events of the Christmas season? I did not, but when I went to assemble that CD, I just thought this fits in very beautifully with Christmas music. One thing that I noticed that was particularly moving to me is in this song you've got the kalimba and the other major instrument that I'm noting and that i felt strongly the presence of is piano. There are different continents that are encountering, but they're encountering each other beautifully. 
is it very difficult to I don't know if what the musical structure is of the kalimba, but you know the whole chords and patterns and that kind of thing. Is it difficult to encounter across the continents like that? The most important thing is that the tuning of the kalimba be aligned with the, the tuning of the piano. And it's really easy to retune the kalimbas. In Africa, they were naturally tuned. Each, each group of people had their own tuning. And so if it would be difficult for one group of people to get together with another group of people and, and have a, a jam session. The kalimbas that I play are mostly retuned to a Western scale. So that part is very easy to do. And the kalimba, the way I play it, is naturally a chording instrument. You can play chords and melodies simultaneously, going back and forth while you play a chord on one side on the other side you play a note of the melody and then the melody will switch sides so you switch sides on the chording too so you're constantly going left and right it's almost like the kalimba is a tool for integrating the two hemispheres of your brain I guess I naturally seek unity in music I naturally seek coming together and I don't have any problems with bringing the thumb piano together with the western piano. And that's what he does here in the song Chorale, and it's from his Christmas Columba CD. This is the music and song of the soul of Mark Holdaway. Coral by Mark Holt.
Walter White. It's his song of the soul that you're listening here to today on this Northern Spirit Radio production called Song of the Soul. We're visiting with Mark. He's over in Tucson, Arizona, while I'm up here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I hope you're having beautiful weather down there, by the way, Mark. Are you? Well, they say it's going to be 106 today or better. I'm not sure what better means, higher or lower. But uh, we're having a warm day, very clear turquoise blue skies this time of year, no sign of rain or clouds. Well, you've played your music individually, and you've played it with a group of people, right? Do you get out and perform kalimba in public? I don't know what kind of amplification you need for this, but do you play it up on the stage in front of people? I do, and when I was at Intermountain Yearly Meeting last week, I played it in two different situations. One, I played it as part of a sing-along. We have a, a sing-along every year, and we just some great, great song leaders. And I'm kind of a song follower in those situations. I help support the structure of the music and help add little frills. And I love playing mandolin or recorder in those situations, and also kalimba. I've got kalimbas in a number of different keys, and it actually stands up pretty well to two or three guitars. And we also have a creativity night, and I played kalimba. I had put the Beatitudes to music. And I had someone playing guitar with me, and I was playing kalimba and singing on stage in front of people. The next piece that you chose to share as your song of the soul is called Kalimba Orchestra. Are there other people who are involved in this orchestra, or is this all you? It's a virtual orchestra. I was up late one night, and one of the kalimbas, I had given it to my mother. And when she died, it came back to me. That kalimba was sort of the seed for that, and I added a couple of other kalimbas, and I was just imagining what a well-tuned group of people could do with kalimbas. And at that time, I don't think I knew anybody who played kalimba, so it wasn't possible for me to actually get together with a group and make that happen. This is from Two Thumbs Up. Is that your first recording? Is that the first recording you made at all? Because you've done music for many decades. Was this your first recording? I had been on other people's recordings, but this is the first recording that was my recording. Since you're the entire orchestra here, did you just play through one part and record it and then play through another part and listen to the first part? How how do you put your orchestra together when you're doing a virtual orchestra like this? Well, this song was actually, I call it self-structuring music, because when I sit down, to start, I might know what I'm going to start with, but I don't know where it's going to go. And I trust in God that it'll go somewhere meaningful, it'll go somewhere that makes sense, and I just start recording. If I take a wrong turn, I can always go backwards and erase that, but I'll put down something that I like, and then I will listen to it. I think listening is the most important skill you can have in making music. When I play music, I spend more time and energy listening to what other people are doing than I spend at figuring out what I'm going to do. And the notes are kind of naturally called up from me by the process of listening. And so if I'm recording something like this, I'll go back and listen to that first piece and just see what's called up. And I'll choose another instrument 
So when I started this piece, I didn't know it was going to be three kalimbas in a base. But as I add each layer, the piece, what it means, becomes more clear until hopefully I have something that, that forms a unity. And at that point, 
without the ceiling there preventing the music from getting to God, it also, God's light was free to come into my heart. And I was filled with joy and tears. And I knew my life had changed that moment. And I asked God, what can I do? How can I follow you, God? And often in my music, I try to recreate that feeling of lifting up my talents, my hands, what I've done with my brain and my heart, what God has given me and how I've transformed that in this world, and pointing that way to other people. And that song really does a good job of leading me in those paths, leading me, and that's my experience of it. The next piece you chose, The Dark and the Light, also talks about that. Now, usually when people talk about a born-again experience, frequently there's some kind of deep experience of what in some circles is referred to as sin, as somehow that dark path is, I think, is typically the phrase used to it, and then feeling the forgiveness and being uplifted. In this song, The Dark and the Light, I think you're seeing dark and light in different ways. Talk about how you feel about those objects, those beliefs, those those colors, dark and light. Well, the title for that came to me because there are two different kalimbas that are in contrast with each other, kind of filling the space. One kalimba has a darker tone, and that comes in with the first phrase. And then it leaves some space, and a light shimmering kalimba kind of answers it in that space. That interplay between those two kalimbas, the dark kalimba and the light kalimba, form the backbone of that song. Even the bad stuff in the world is a vehicle for God's grace. Even the the hard things, especially the hard things, are opportunities for us to turn towards God. So both the dark and the light serve God's ways.
light. It's from Mark Holdaway's CD, Between the Dark and the Light. I've definitely felt the mixture of the dark and the light there. But I want to come back, Mark, to how you think of the dark and the light. And I guess maybe your born-again experience where you went up through and <laughs> broke through the cathedral ceiling. Was your born-again experience, I guess you'd say, kind of a classic, here I am in sin and I can be forgiven from that? Is Because you described it musically, which is different than I've ever heard anyone talk about a born-again experience. Did you have the other elements that are kind of traditionally seen as born-again? I felt like it was a mistake. I felt like, uh, God, why have you come to me? You know, I'm not worthy. I haven't done anything good. I think you've, you've got the wrong guy. And the response to that was just love and understanding and acceptance, which I interpreted to mean, no, I have the right person. When I was reading the Bible in Isaiah, in one of the early chapters of Isaiah, uh, he relates his experience of God coming to Isaiah, and, and Isaiah said, I am unclean. And God sent a cherubim down and took a, a coal from the fire and put it on his tongue to make him clean. And that mirrored my experience. It sounds like a really powerful experience. Now, you said you went on from there. You you were hanging in, I guess, religiously conservative circles, but not feeling like that reflected your beliefs, your attitudes as a scientist. What kind of specific things are you talking about there? The entire worldview, I think, very simply, I could not believe in creationism as I was at being asked to believe it. I could not believe in a fundamentalist interpretation of the Bible. As a scientist, I see the world and life on this planet as something which evolved over millions of years. And I see creation as an ongoing thing. When we lose a species, we lose millions or billions of years of intelligence intelligence that is encoded in the DNA, which lets that species survive in a particular and unique way. And when that species is gone, God is not going to create some special creation. I am creating this new species to fill that niche. The miracle of creation is ongoing, and when a species is gone, they're, they're gone. Yeah, I guess creationism was, was the big thing, because the, the evolution is actually quite integral to my spirituality, to my understanding of nature, and the place where I stand when I go out in nature and, and worship God. And as an astronomer, you're looking at light that's traveled millions of years to get here. I suppose that, that kind of clashes with an idea that it must be only, what's the number, 4,000 3,000, 5,000 years old? Yes, yes. Well, the universe is such an amazing place. And to replace that wonder and amazement with a story that we made up as human beings, I mean, that's blasphemous. <laughs> that's idolatrous. To 
close our eyes from seeing the true wonder of the universe. In case you've just joined us, I'm your host for Song of the Soul, Mark Helpsmeet, and we're visiting today with Mark Holdaway. Mark is joining us via telephone from Tucson, Arizona, where his business, built around the African thumb piano, known as the Kalimba, pretty much makes him the center of the Kalimba universe. His website is kalimbamagic.com, and you can find a link to him and recordings of all my radio shows on my site, northernspiritradio.org. Let's return now to the phone line and Mark Holdaway's Song of the Soul, Part 1. Are you creating music on other instruments, on other things continually now, or is, has kalimba just become the only thing on your screen? I do write some songs that are guitar-based. Most of my recording work uses other instruments as support to complement the kalimba. The kalimba has a fairly high range. It's up with a mandolin, so adding a guitar or a bass to fill out the harmonic spectrum is very helpful. I'm open to inspiration, no matter how it comes. One of the things that I find amazing and precious is that you seem to have a strong, it's a strong artistic sense, the musical sense, and that clearly swirls around and speaks in the very center of your being. And I perceive also that you have a very strong scientific sense, which I find wonderful and rich as well. Have you experienced them in conflict to one another? Do you find people telling you that, no, you can only be part of one world and not the other? In the past, uh, when I went to a fundamentalist Christian churches, I often do find them in conflict. One of the things I love about Quakerism is you're free to find your own way. I can share with other people what I've figured out, what I've experienced, and it can be in conflict with their understanding. And Quakers can hold together in community in spite of that conceptual conflict because we find a deeper unity than what we find in our words. As in, spirit gives life, but letter kills? Sounds good to me. Well, let's progress on to your next song, Rule of Thumb. Are you? Is this another pun we're working on here? Don't you typically play with the thumb a lot, or do you play with all fingers at once? How is this done on the kalimba? Well, there are no rules. I've seen people do it any way you can imagine. And I usually play with my two thumbs only. Sometimes I use my right index finger, so I'm using two. It's like a triangle almost. But it is a pun. And I have rules of thumb. There are certain principles that if you stick with these principles, you make beautiful music without knowing what you're doing. And I was imagining a CD called Rule of Thumb with maybe a, a little thumb with a, a smiley face on it and a little crown on top, but that seemed a little silly. So you can be scientific, you can be deeply artistic and spiritual, and you can be God's fool as well? I'm a goofy guy, and that's just who I am. I mean, I love being serious, but I'm, I'm goofy. Is this advice that's offered to you by your wife as well? I mean, is this part of your household? It, she struggles with my goofiness. 
it's wonderful that the kalimba work that you do has so caught fire. You talk about sending kalimbas on to all these different countries and having this newsletter and everything on your kalimbamagic.com site. What kind of volume are we talking about? Are we talking about hundreds of kalimbas per month? What kind of volume of contact are we really dealing with? Because I don't think I know a single other person in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where I am, who plays the kalimba. At least they haven't exhibited it in public. You know, I actually sent the kalimba to Eau Claire because they have PAS, the Percussive Arts Society. They had their day of percussion there a few years ago, and I sent them a kalimba as a door prize, basically. So I know there's at least one there. And I have sent kalimbas to Madison. In order to stay alive, I need to ship about three kalimbas a day. And so I've exceeded that. And it's growing over 100 a month. I typically get 20 to 30 emails a day with people asking me questions. And some of these are the same people who emailed me yesterday or earlier in the day. And they're asking me, well, how should I tune this kalimba? Or I want to play with this instrument. What kalimba is the best one? Or, hey, I just figured out if you put the kalimba on the window pane of, uh, in front of my house, it makes a great noise or you know, all kinds of things like this. So I view this as my ministry. I'm in community with people, many of whom I'll never see, never meet. But I, I can hold that space in an email conversation with them and interact with them in a spiritual way. Well, the song is Rule of Thumb. It's on the Between the Dark and the Light album by Mark Holdaway. Here is Rule of Thumb.
Thumb by Mark Holdaway. Mark, you've got a very full band going on there in that song. Are there a lot of other members of this band, or is this you again supplementing yourself? You know, at the time I recorded that, I had a trio, and it was actually called the Mark Holdaway Trio because we couldn't come up with another name. So in principle, I was the leader, but in a lot of ways I was the follower because I would bend to what would work with the bass player and the drummer. And I booked the studio time, and I said, I want to do kalimba-based music. And they didn't want to do that. And so they are not on that recording. I went into the studio by myself with my instruments, and the kalimba came first. That was the seed. And then it was a fit of inspiration. I remember very clearly being there, and things were flowing. And I was so excited because they hadn't flowed like that for years. So I listened to the kalimba and figured out what had I done, and I mapped out the song, and then I added guitar, and I added bass, and I added mandolin, and I added first soprano recorder and then alto recorder. And when I was adding the recorders, I was transported to a plane. I was a Sioux Indian. I was playing nothing that any Sioux Indian ever played before, probably, but in my mind, I was transported back a hundred years, and it was a fallen Sioux Indian. It was The Indians had been tamed and were on reservations, but they were looking back hundreds of years into their past. Anyway, that was first inspired music I had played in a long time in a recording. You told me that this piece, Rule of Thumb, was completely improvised. Now, you just talk now about mapping it out. I don't know if those are in conflict with one another, but how can you play such a seamless piece improvised? I guess you're playing with yourself, so at least you know what's inside your heart and what's inside your mind, but how does that work? Uh, You also had told me, for instance, that when you were adding these parts, you were seeking to praise God as if in different voices, standing together in worship. That is a tall order, so I can't imagine doing that at any time but in true inspiration. So how do you prepare to do that music? How do you improvise something like that? Well, in the studio, before I start playing, I start from a place of silence and a place of peace. And and I ask God to be with me, and I remind myself, of the ways that God has blessed me in my life, and I give thanks through my music. And when I go back and listen, I remember what I just did, what happened, and I look at, at what has been recorded as as a, a pillar standing, pointing to God, and I ask myself, what can I do to honor that and seek to be true to that spirit? In doing so, I I erect another pillar. And all they are are man-made pillars in a way, but they point to God. They point to my experience of God. That was Mark Holdaway sharing the first part of his Song of the Soul with us today. We'll meet again next week for part two of our Soul Deep Visit with Mark Holdaway on this Northern Spirit Radio production. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, 
northernspiritradio.org, and I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can 